Thanks for listening to the Mercy Church Podcast. If you're in the area, we want to invite you to join us the last weekend in March as we celebrate Good Friday and Easter Sunday. Good Friday services will be at 6 p.m. on Friday evening. And then on Sunday morning, we invite you to join us for a time of worship, a message, and baptisms. Bring your friends, your family, and if you feel so led, invite your coworker, cashier, or barista to join you. Services will be held at regular service times at all campuses. To learn more, visit mercycharlotte.com slash events. Again, that's mercycharlotte.com slash events. Good morning, Mercy Church. If you have your Bibles, why don't you go ahead and turn to Psalm 127. That is where we will be uh, today. Um, I'm thankful uh, for an opportunity to be here. Uh, as uh, Spence said, Pastor Spence said, this is my third time, and I do feel like family. Uh, in a way, I kind of feel like one of your pastors a little bit. Uh, so if there's a church discipline case, I, I think I'm speaking into that, right? <laughs> kidding. I'm kidding. Listen, guys, this is, uh, this is a great time. Um, as, as Pastor Spence was just sharing a little bit about what's going on, uh, I just felt the Holy Spirit really just like hit on my heart that this is why you're preaching this passage. This is why you are here uh, today. And, and I'll be honest, I'm super anxious, right? I, I woke up just really nervous and not sure what God was doing. And then right there, as he was sharing about what does God is doing here in the midst of, of Mercy Church, I was like, boom, there it is. Like, this is the right moment for you to be up here, and I'm going to use you, Derek, so step out of the way. And I'm like, all right, God, have your way. So hopefully you guys are going to buckle up because God has a word for you today. If you have your Bibles, again, hopefully by now you've turned to Psalm 127. We're going to read that, and it reads like this. Unless the Lord builds the house, <laughs> those who build it labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. It is in vain that you rise up early and go late to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil, for he gives to his beloved sleep. Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord, the fruit of the womb, a reward. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior are the children of one's youth. Blessed is the man who fills his quiver with them. He shall not be put to shame when he speaks with his enemies in the gate. Mercy Church, can we pray together? Father, you are good. You are kind to us. And we praise you for that. Lord God, I pray right now through the power of your Holy Spirit that you would begin to open up hearts and minds to receive your word. That God, this is something that we all need to hear. That we all need to be moved in such a way to respond to your grace, to your mercy. Here uh, in this church, here in this city, God, you are calling us into something. I pray, Father, through the power of the Holy Spirit that we would respond. And it's all because of everything that Jesus has done. God, would you speak through me? Would you move me out of the way, God? Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart, God, be acceptable in your sight. Father, we thank you in advance. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So there are some of you guys who obviously you don't know me. Uh, just by way of introduction, again, my name is Derek Delane. Uh, just to give you guys a little bit more about who I am, my full name is Derek Lawrence Delane. Okay? Now, when I was a little kid, I hated my middle name. I hated it because, uh, if, you're, if we're honest, it just sounded like a, an old person's name, right? Old Larry. Uh, did not like being called that, but people would do that for kicks and giggles, so I despised my, my name. But the older I got, the more I realized just the significance of that, that middle name, Larry. You see, I was named after my, my great-grandfather, uh, James Lawrence Glover. 
And just a little background of, of James Lawrence and, and who he is, he was the son of, of slaves. And so as he grew up, he realized that he wanted to, to move outside of South Carolina, Jim Crow, South Carolina, and move his family up to, to New York. And he and his wife, they did that wanting to start something up new, a better life for their little ones. And by God's grace, they succeeded. You see, as they raised up their, their, their children, there were great-grandchildren and grandchildren that went on to, to do some pretty great things. Some of their children walked with Martin Luther King Jr. They were there in Washington, D.C., hearing his speech. Some of them became entrepreneurs and, and businessmen and women. They became investors and started owning property and, and raising and having money into a family that had absolutely nothing. Some of them are now working on their PhDs, and one of them is a pastor. And as I think about it, I'm like, man, what a legacy to have. I'm so thankful for that name now and, and what it signifies. And so much so, I wanted to actually name my son Michael Lawrence or, or Lawrence Michael, but apparently my wife knew someone with those names, and she hated those guys because they were jerks. And so now he's just Michael Levi, but I digress. <laughs> but as I think about this, this legacy that, that my family had, the truth is we want to be known for something, don't we? We want to be known for something. We strive hard. We work hard. We, we want to leave things for our kids and our, and our families. We want to make a good impression. But the question is, to what end? What's the point? You see, as awesome of a story as it is about my great-grandparents and the, the family's legacy that we have, I had to come to a point in my life and, and ask the question of myself of whose legacy am I building? You see, I had to come to this realization that building on my family's legacy, and that alone is not what should drive me. And looking at Psalm 127, the writer helps us to see the importance of a legacy, but it's not about ours that we should be focused on. To give you a little bit of background on this particular psalm, Psalm 127 is one of two psalms written by Solomon. This particular psalm is categorized as a, as a wisdom psalm, being that it reflects the wisdom of Solomon found in the book of Proverbs. And what's so interesting about this particular psalm is that much of the wisdom written here is lost on Solomon, right? We know much of his story. And in 1 Kings, we see that his buildings become reckless. His kingdom, it comes to ruin, and his marriages are a denial of God and, and who he is. And what Solomon shows us in this psalm is that anything you do apart from the sustaining grace and power of God is in vain. Mercy Church, I believe that today you guys need to be reminded that whatever you do as a church corporately or whatever you do personally, you can grow in numbers, you may get newer and better buildings, you may enjoy a prosperous life, you may raise an accomplished family, you may build an extremely successful career. With all of that, that legacy that you are building, it means nothing without God. Guys, there are two things I want us to see today in this psalm, and I'm going to get out your way. Okay, we see that apart from God, a legacy means nothing. But with God, he builds the only legacy that will last. Let's look at that first thing. Apart from God, a legacy means nothing. You see, Solomon begins by, by painting a picture of, of three occupations in this psalm. We see a workman, a watchman, and a warrior. And what is interesting about these occupations is just how much they, they mirror the roles of, of Adam and Eve in the garden. What we see is that each of these are, are all concerned with the legacy, but the legacy was that of God and, and not of their own. Let's take a look at the three. The first is the workman. 
There's this movie by Pixar called, called WALL-E, and I'm sure you guys are familiar with it. I have little ones, so I enjoy movies like that. Don't judge me. You just don't enjoy life if you don't like that movie. <laughs> so as I'm watching this movie, there's not much talking going on at all, right? It's a lot of robots just beep bopping around. And essentially what happens, these, these robots, they begin to do so much for the individuals in the movie that these individuals, they begin to become lazy, they become lazy and they start to, to function, they, they downgrade, if you will, and become more like babies all over again. You see, that, that sounds great, right, that you have these robots caring for you, but the reality is we weren't created in that way. We were created to work. God never intended for us to be lazy individuals. The Bible speaks a, about this often. We see the opposite, that God created us for work. Thinking back to Genesis, we see that Adam had a job, and part of that job was to cultivate or labor over the garden. He was a workman, and Adam's cultivation and, and service were to be ordered in such a way to be given back to God as worship and to bring God glory. So the idea of work is a good thing. We see this second occupation, that of a watchman. Now picture this, if you will, right? A, a watchman is on guard. His, his purpose is to keep things safe. This watchman here is, is overseeing the city, standing on guard to make sure nothing is coming of harm to the city. And this person is a steward of what God has given him. Again, this is a good thing. You see, not only was Adam created to cultivate the garden, but he was also created to keep it, or to put it a different way, to keep watch over it. So from time to time, Rachel and I, we... My wife, we go out of town, right? As a matter of fact, we're actually going on vacation after I leave out of here. And I'm excited about it, but we also have a dog. We have a house. And so we have someone coming to, to watch our stuff while we're away. And my hope is when we get back that our house isn't burnt down, right? Our dog is still alive. We're hoping that. And we're hoping that this, this young lady who's coming to the house to do those things there, she's doing it to honor us because she loves us and she cares for us. You see, this is what God was doing here with Adam. They're keeping it in order is out of love and honor. His work was to be worship, and so was his keeping it up. God gave him this ability to work and also the ability to steward it. Both of these, again, were meant to be worshiped to God. And finally, we see the occupation, the warrior. And you find this referred to in verse 4 of Psalm 127. He says, like arrows in the hand of a warrior, so are children of one's youth. This picture here is of battle, a battlefield. And many of you guys who, who have kids, you've been battling with them all week, right? But this isn't what it's talking about. That's not the type of battle. We need to understand that our children, our young people, our sons and daughters, they are ammunition. They are arrows to be sent out. They're not intended to stay in the quiver. Rather, they are to be released, to be sent out into the culture to be sent out into the world, to pierce and to penetrate that world for the sake of the gospel. Adam and Eve, they were called to be fruitful and to multiply. They were called to multiply themselves as image bearers of God. You see, these, these arrows, they have to be prepared. They have to be carefully shaped and formed. They have to be shot in the right direction toward the appropriate target. And we're going to go into that a little bit more in detail later on when we're looking at this. But here's the thing, Solomon mentions the workman, the watchman, and the warrior. All these occupations in and of themselves are, are good things. And again, in fact, God created them to, for us to be workers, to, to be watchers, to be disciple makers. This was the original intent all the way in the garden. However, 
Solomon lets us know that when the Lord is not involved in any of these occupations, we are doing it in vain. To say that something is in vain is just a, a shorter word for, for saying that it's empty or, or meaningless. Why, why would he even mention that these good things could become meaningless? Because he knew that there is a natural tendency for our work, for our watching, and our raising our children to be catered to ourselves as worship and not worship to God. You see, in Genesis 3, we see that Adam and Eve, they, they disobeyed God, which resulted in what we know now as the fall. It was here that the original plan for work and watching and raising our children found in the original creation has been broken and distorted. It has become misdirected, mostly seeking to put ourselves in a position of praise, either from ourselves or from other people. We want to now keep up with the Joneses. We want the, the newer and better things. We want the well-behaved children. So when people see them and those things in our lives that we have worked so hard for, they sing our praises. Guys, here's the thing. We all want to hear well done, right? But without Jesus earning that phrase for you, it means nothing in light of eternity. What, what do I mean by that? It's, it is no coincidence that the same author who penned this psalm is the same one who wrote the entire book of Ecclesiastes, stating how just about everything in life apart from the Lord is vanity. In fact, in the opening of the book of Ecclesiastes, Solomon writes in verse 2, he says, vanity of vanities, says the preacher, Vanity of vanities, all is vanity. That's really depressing, right? Here, here's the thing. The Hebrew translation for vanity, it, it literally means breeze or, or breath or vapor. I, I don't know about you guys, but I'm a huge fan of winter. Any, any winter fans in here? The rest of you guys, I'm guessing you really like summer. Here's the thing, what I feel about summer, okay? I feel like summer is great, but if it's not next to a beach or a pool, then what's the point, Right? It's super hot. You just get sweaty. It's disgusting. No? Am I the only one? Here's, let me convince you a little bit more, okay? Wintertime, I can put on a ton of clothes, right? If I'm, if I'm cold, I can warm myself up. I can't cool myself down in the summertime by taking off clothes, right? We can't listen to Nelly on that one. We'll go straight to jail, all right? But guys, here's the thing. I love the winter because when you, when you step out and you step outside and you can breathe in and you breathe out, what do you see? See your breath, right? That, that vapor, and what is it? It's, it's there for just a second and just gone, right? This summarizes a life that is completely wasted if we're not pursuing after God. You see, Solomon wishes to deliver us from this rosy-colored, self-confident life that will more than likely lead to cynicism and, and bitterness in our lives. He walks through Ecclesiastes telling us to avoid trusting in ourselves and, and wealth and prosperity and, and pleasure and, and human justice or integrity. And we can't rest in these things. And the reason why we can't rest in them because those things can't save us. Can I ask you a question, Mercy family? Where in your life are you currently seeking to build your legacy apart from God? You see, building a legacy is a tricky thing. We think greatness is attainable, so we work hard to attain it. Many times, what we think what we are building are, are good things, but we quickly forget about God and how he steward those things for, for his glory. We work hard and we work long hours so we can look good in the eyes of our supervisor and hopefully get that raise, right? But then on the flip side of that, we burn ourselves out. And for some of us, we neglect the family that God has called us to lead and love. Guys, we work hard to get a sizable check, 
There's nothing wrong with that, but then yet we hold on to our money. And we don't think of ways to to bless others or, or bless the church to advance her mission. We have talents and abilities, and we use them to advance ourselves in life, yet we never take time to use them to edify the body through serving. I think it's so funny that Pastor Spence just shared how we have a lot of people on the sidelines. We have gifts and abilities to use them for the body of Christ, yet we selfishly hold on to them. God blesses us with children, but instead of allowing them to be a part of the ministries in the church, we want them to focus on extracurricular activities to get into the best schools all the while. They are in need of growing their faith in Jesus. Guys, jobs and money and abilities, those things aren't bad things. We've just taken God out of the picture. It reminds me of Genesis uh, chapter 11 and the story of the Tower of Babel. You see, the Tower of Babel where God had told the people to go out and to, and to multiply, and yet they ignored his command. They decided to build their tower to make a great name for themselves until what? God stepped in and he intervened. You see, God may let you build for a little while, but whatever you are trying to build for yourself will not last. Jonathan Edwards, he puts it this way. He says, the ruin that the fall brought upon the soul of man consists very much in his losing the nobler and more benevolent principles of his nature and falling wholly under the power and government of self-love. To put it another way, we grow small trying to be great. Guys, when our lives consist of trying to develop a legacy for ourselves, Solomon says that we are eating the bread of anxious toil. This is what this looks like, right? We live in a society where we often celebrate the visible fruits of our labors, right? Raises, promotions, raising successful children, you name it. And so these are the things that we naturally strive for. We wake up and we check our stocks. We spend the day worrying about our children. We work hard on projects at work so we can get that pat on the back. On top of that, we live in fear of losing these things and what people would think of us without them. These thoughts rule our emotions and actions. These are the ingredients of the bread of anxious toil. Our natural tendency is to go this route. Jesus knew this about us. That's why in John 6.35, Jesus says that, listen, I'm the bread of life. When you believe in me, you'll never go hungry. We need to find our satisfaction in him and in him alone, not in anything that we can strive for here on earth. Family, listen, we were created to build a legacy not for ourselves. It was for God and God alone. Whatever you try to build your life on other than that is ultimately meaningless. We must structure our lives in such a way that we live for God because of God and what he has done for us through Jesus. Which leads me to my second point. With God, he builds the only legacy that will last. So how do we transition from from a work that's in vain to work that refocus on, on, on us becoming a part of God's legacy? Well, Solomon begins by letting us know at the end of verse 2, for he gives his beloved sleep. What Solomon is trying to communicate is that God is completely in control. And for that reason, we can rest. In fact, it says that God actually gives us the ability to rest because we can't even do that right. (laughs) He has to give it to us. And the reason why is because he loves us. He gives us this rest, but our ultimate rest is found in Jesus. What is beautiful about this psalm is that it shows us our natural tendency to want to perform, 
We want to seek the approval of man. We want to earn the things that we get so we can say, look at me. But when it lasts, when it doesn't last, then we see that our efforts are in vain. And it's in that moment that we can be reminded that the efforts of Jesus were not. You see, our ability to want to perform just points to our self-reliance. We want to be in charge. We want to be in control. And it starts young, doesn't it? Think about it. Even yourself, when you were growing up, when you were playing superheroes or something like that, at least for me, right? I wanted to be Superman. I wanted to be Batman. I wanted to be the Red Power Ranger. Why? Because being, you know, Superboy or Robin or any of the other Power Rangers was dumb. We wanted to be in control. We love being the hero. We don't want to be a celebrated sidekick. Self-reliance feeds our self-esteem and our self-worth. Guys, we want God to love us based off what we can do. And unfortunately, when we live this way, it will only condemn us. The good news of the gospel is not only that we do not have to work for our salvation, but also that we do not have to work to get God's acceptance and approval for, for our work. All of that has been accomplished in Jesus Christ. Guys, we understand the concept of work and rest, right? After a long day of work, we want to go home. We want to chill. We want to relax. We want to take it easy. You've done the job, and now you want to reap the benefits, which is rest, after that long day. But when it comes to spiritual matters, we don't have to work to get rest. We get to rest knowing the work through Jesus has been done already. That's why in Matthew eleven twenty eight, 28, Jesus says, come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Jesus says, guys, are you tired of trying to earn God's approval? Trade with me. Trade with me. Are you working hard for his approval? Let me do that for you. I'll take all the labor. You just take the rest. This is the legacy that Christ has left. This is the legacy that has died for, his work for our rest. And guys, by God's grace, he uses this to, so we can see this legacy spread out. He uses us. And one of the ways that he does this is through our children. That's why in verse 3 we see, behold, children are a heritage from the Lord, the fruit of the womb a reward. Like arrows in the hands of a mighty warrior are children of one youth. Blessed is the man who fills his quiver with them. He shall not be put to shame when he speaks with his enemies in the gate. Guys, this passage tells us that children are a heritage. They are a gift from God. Children are literally to be viewed as a gift from God. And there's a bigger way to take this, and that's the direction I want us to, to leave here with today. But before we do that, I have to address some things here. Guys, God's word is good. And God's word is true. So in verse 5, when it says that you are blessed, if your quiver is filled with arrows, then by God's grace, you are blessed. But let me be clear. In Jesus, you are still blessed if you have one or two arrows. In Jesus, you are still blessed if you have no arrows in your quiver at all. Guys, this section of this psalm has probably been the, the hardest for me to wrestle with. I have friends who have had miscarriages. I have friends who are going through infertility. I have cried with them. I know the pastors here have cried with some of you. And it breaks my heart. And if I'm honest, it makes me frustrated that I have been praying for so long, been praying with these people, and I have yet to see anything take place. And as I wrestle with this, 
the Holy Spirit in his goodness reminded me, and I want to remind you of this real satisfaction here, okay? Real satisfaction can never come from having a child, but from being a child. To know and find rest in the fact that you are a child of God is of greater worth than being a parent. How can I say that? Isaiah 54.1. He says, sing, O barren one who did not bear. Break forth into singing and cry aloud, you who have not been in labor. For the children of the desolate one will be more than the children of her who is married, says the Lord. Guys, this passage teaches us that because of the work of God through his servant king, Jesus, there will be a time of joy and singing even for the barren woman. For God will raise up a great family with many descendants of which the childless person can and will be a part of. Not only that, in Mark chapter 10, Jesus lets his disciples know of the the new family of brothers and sisters and children that the believer gains in this life, especially in the next. You see, throughout the Bible, we are reminded that the future glories that are ours as children of God are far greater than anything that this life has to offer. And it far outweighs the suffering we must endure for a little while in this life. Guys, while there are times of suffering, be reminded of Hebrews 4.15, that we have a great high priest who sympathizes with us in our sufferings. My hope for the universal church is that we can be a foretaste of heaven, where the single person who desires to be married doesn't feel lonely. For the childless couple that they can rejoice in the children that surround them. Catch this, some arrows have dropped from other quivers. We as the family of God have an opportunity to pick those arrows up, mend the broken parts, sharpen that edge, and send them off on the mission of God. Hebrews 13, 14 says it this way, for here we do not have a lasting city, but we are seeking the city which is to come, which leads us to the bigger picture that we all have the privilege to be a part of. The church has been given this gift of children. What does that mean for those who, who are single? What does that mean for those who are married and don't have children yet and can't, or can't have children? Or those whose children are grown or, or maybe have walked away from the faith? It means that you still have a role to play among this good gift also. You see, the church isn't like a family. The church is a family. It means inside of the church, we have a lot of uncles and and aunts and grandmas and grandpas. It means that as a parent, I need you to come alongside of me and help me disciple my children because I cannot and I should not do it alone. It means that some of you need to step into the role of service into this church. Maybe it's with kids ministry. Maybe it's student ministry or college ministry. I don't know specifically, but you know what the Spirit is calling you to do, that you need to step into it. And here's the thing, it's easy to think that someone else can do it, someone else will step into that role. No, you need to do that because this is your family. Guys, some of you have kids that you have yet to to put into a student ministry. You have some kids that you hold selfishly onto, you don't want anyone else speaking into their lives. Guys, as the body of Christ, we have an opportunity to partner together for the sake of the next generation of disciple makers whose focus is building the legacy of God and not their own legacy. If you're a parent, maybe you're, you're struggling with leading devotions. Let the church be a resource for you. Maybe you have a teenager you just can't seem to wrangle in. Let the church be a resource for you. Let the body of Christ be the body of Christ. 
We need to work together in this because the mission of God is far too great and our kids play too important of a role in that to take this thing lightly. I love the way Dahadi Lewis says it. He says, arrows aren't meant to be protected. They are meant to be shaped and prepared. Going back to the occupation Solomon lists out earlier, our effectiveness as warriors in many senses determines the effectiveness of those arrows. If they're crooked, if they're not shaped correctly, if they're sent in the wrong direction, then they're not going to fulfill their purpose. We have a job to do when it comes to our children. This, this hands down one of the, the most important role that God has given to us. And God shows us that even that should be catered to him. Let us be about our father's business. Solomon ends this psalm with an interesting line. He talks about the blessed is the man who will not be put to shame when he speaks with his enemies at the gate. Now the gate is an area of town where they would settle their judicial decisions, their judicial disputes. And Solomon is saying, I know that I personally won't be put to shame with my enemies because I have a lot of sons, have a lot of allies. When it comes down to it, I know that those children of mine, they will help me out. I'll be acquitted and my enemies won't win. Here's the thing. Can we have that same confidence? You see, most of us know exactly what it's like to have enemies. But here's the thing. My hope is that we can have the same confidence that Solomon did as well. When we look ahead to the difficulties of life, overworking ourselves or not having a job at all, maybe the the inability to have kids, the the loss of a loved one or some other tragedy, we just aren't sure a lot of times. And the very idea that there are enemies still at the gate waiting for us is enough to crush us. But we can have that confidence, not like Solomon, not by having such a big family that we know that we'll be protected, You see, we follow a God who did something Solomon never did. Through Jesus, he let his enemies overcome him. You see, when Jesus faced the cross, he told his disciples that he could have called 12 legions of angels to save him. He knew that he had these allies that will save him from his enemies at the gate. But instead of using that power to save himself, he let the arrows pierce him. Instead of using his hands to fire arrows at the enemy, he let the enemy put nails in his hands. He was put to shame in the public place so that you and I could be raised to honor. He was crushed by his enemies so that you and I could face our enemies and know that they no longer have any power over us in Jesus' name. You see, the only way you'll have the confidence to face your enemies in the gate is not by filling your quiver, but by following the God who emptied his quiver of his one and only son for you. The question is, will you believe it? This is his legacy, church. He invites us in his rest and so that his rest becomes our rest. He invites us into his work of sharing the truth of who he is to the world. We are a part of the legacy of people coming from death to life. The legacy of of people joining an everlasting and unending family. In the same way that I was given my great-grandfather's name, he has given us a new name. You see, in Jesus, before Jesus, we were enemies, right? We were orphans. We were sinners. We were shamed. We were dirty. But because of Jesus, we are now friend. We are son. We are daughter. We are holy. We are righteous. We are blameless. And we are clean because of Jesus. Guys, this is the church. This is the body of Christ. This is his legacy that will last forever and ever. 
Guys, there are some in this room who believe that truth and praise God for that. Yet you realize that you have not been moving and doing and relying on God the way that you should. You have now attempted to make a name for yourself, but that is not what you've been called to do. You were not simply saved from something, but you were saved to something. And that something is knowing God and being known by him and making him known to the world. Maybe, follower of Jesus, maybe today you need to stop and reflect and repent and ask God to forgive you for trying to make a legacy, a name for yourself instead of his glory and his namesake and his legacy. And for others of you, some of you have never trusted in the rest that Jesus offers by his sacrifice on the, on the cross. And my question for you today is, what are you waiting for? What are you waiting for? What is keeping you from doing that? If you were to stand before God today and offer up all your work, all the accomplishments that you did, what worth would it be? It would mean absolutely nothing in front of God. This is the legacy that you could live for. That again, God emptied his quiver of his one and only son to die for our sins. And it's so in accepting that truth of who Jesus is, we are now added to the quiver of God through adoption. By placing our faith in that, we are counted as sons and daughters. As a matter of fact, if you've never trusted in that, I want to invite you up here at the end of the service. We'll have prayer team and everything else. We want to talk with you about that. At least have the conversation. At least begin to wrestle on what it looks like to place your faith in Jesus, to understand what it means to know God and be known by him. Here's the thing, Mercy Church. My prayer for you for this church, is that it would be known as a church that lifts high the name of Jesus, that everything, everything that it does from here on out, moving forward until Jesus comes back, that everything that it does is for the legacy of Jesus and what he has done for us. Let me pray.